Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Jen Windrow. Jen is the author of the Alexis Black uh, series and the Redeeming Cupid uh, series. So the Alexis Black series is an urban fantasy, and the Redeeming Cupid series is a paranormal fantasy. Jen, go ahead and um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about um, your books. So I'm Jen Windrow. I've been, I think, published six years now, and I have six books out, seventh I'm working on. Um, yeah, started writing. The first Alexis Black book was my baby. It was the very first book I wrote, but it wasn't the first book that got published. One of my, one of the paranormal paranormals got published first, which is fine. You know, no big deal. It eventually got out there, but um, yeah, the Alexis Black series, which is probably what we'll talk about most because this is an urban fantasy podcast, right? Well, it's a fantasy podcast, fantasy and science fiction. Yeah. Fantasy podcast. So yeah. <laughs> so um, that one's basically about a vampire who doesn't want to be a vampire. She signs a deal with an angel to kill one supernatural creature every night for 50 years. And in the end, she gets back her humanity. And there's a lot of other twists and turns in there along the way that probably gives stuff away. So I'll keep quiet about that. But um, they're all on audiobook. They're all on Kindle Unlimited. They're all on Amazon. They're hardback, paperback, all that fun stuff. So, so the first book of the Alexis Black series, uh, how did that story come about? Um, okay, it's a really stupid, this is ri- ridiculously stupid. But you know the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, 1960s? Um, there's an elf in it named Hermie. Hermie doesn't want to be an elf. Hermie wants to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. And I was watching it and, you know, I'm starting thinking, well, what if a vampire didn't want to be a vampire? What would you like? Is there ways to do that? Is there a way to go about that? A way to make that happen? And so that's kind of how it came about, which is really stupid. But <laughs> No, that's fantastic. Um, you never know when inspiration will hit. And so yeah, exactly. that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I guess the moral of the story, don't limit yourself. Like you can watch anything. And exactly. Get, you and, can do anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you've got a dream, you can do it. <laughs> so you said uh, it wasn't your first book published. Um, how long did it take you to write that book before it was published? And what did you have to go through to, to get it? Forever, because it was my practice book. It was my learning book. It was my like, I don't even know if I'm a good writer book. Um, I workshopped it at different writer groups, you know, took chapters in and read it and got comments and feedback. I used it for classes, like when I was going through classes and um, I was in the middle of working on it when the idea for Struck by Arrows came out, um, came in, like popped into my head and I was like, oh crap, now I got to write that one too, because I was really into it. So I kind of took a break and I put the vampire aside and I wrote the first Redeeming Cupid book. And um, I finished it and I started, because it was a little better written (laughs) than the other, because that one had been workshopped so many times, um, it was easier to workshop and and send out for queries and submissions and all that. So then that one got picked up first. And I ended up having to do the second book fairly quickly because they wanted the second book in the series. So um, the second book ended up coming out before the vampire series even did. Um, just because they really wanted it. So so you were published first, but now you're self-published. I was, yeah. I was with a publisher, and um, we had a couple, there was a couple moments that they kind of weren't honoring their contract, and I wanted to self-publish, and I kind of used it as a loophole to get out and, you know, 
do what I wanted to do. And, and I'm happy self-published, but I'm not going to say that if, you know, Penguin Random House or Kensington or somebody came up to me and said, hey, we want to give you this huge publishing contract that I wouldn't jump on it in a heartbeat. So. <laughs> no, right. So keep your options open. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your, your writing habits now that, you know, you're six books into it and how have they changed throughout the years? Um, things were great before, before COVID, before 2020, I was at my desk, my kids went to school, I sat down, I worked my butt off, I worked, you know, six, seven hours a day writing and doing writing related things. And then March of 2020 hit and my husband came home and my kids came home and they kind of never went away. And so um, writing's been a little more difficult these days. I, I really think, you know, with writing, well, with what any creative endeavor, but really with writing a lot, you have to be in the right headspace and you really got to have the right kind of frame of mind going. And the world is so noisy right now that it's hard to find those quiet moments where you can just say, okay, I'm just going to dedicate myself to my writing. Um, so like the fourth book of the uh, Lexus Black novels is written, but it's not edited. It's, it's kind of a hot mess right now. Um, and so it'll get done when it gets done. So in the meantime, I'm doing a lot of developmental editing work for other authors. So I'm my, making my money by doing that. And I'm kind of working on my stuff still, but you know, kind of a middle thing right. in between both. So how have you been able to find peace and, and, and do that? I mean, I know you're still working on the fourth book, um, yeah. but you had to write it, you know, how did you find peace in order to you quiet your mind to, to get that on the page? I was, it was, yeah, you know, it was weird. It was probably the beginning of 2021. And I actually said, you know what? I just got to sit and do this. Like I've got to sit and write it. So I did. And that's why it's kind of crappy because it was, um, my mind was kind of in 20 different places. So it's a little disjointed in areas and it just needs to be smoothed out, which isn't a problem. I'll do it. Um, but editing, I'm a, I'm a very, I'm a fast writer. I'm a slow editor. Um, I want things and I'm also one of those where if the front of the book is a mess, I have a really hard time finishing the back of the book. It all has to be very cohesive and very linear for me to write. So I know there's a lot of people that can say, well, I just don't want to write this chapter. I'm going to go write a different chapter. And I just am not one of those people. I have to write it very linear in order to get it fully fleshed out. So when you begin a book, do you have an outline or do you just... Okay. Yeah, I outline. I have about a 40-page outline. They're they're fairly heavily outlined, but I will say um, I have an outline, but there's a lot of times that I'm actually writing the book and then an ideal kind of sneak in there that goes off the outline. And so there's like, there are times where I veer off my outline. It's not like, this is my outline. I'm going to stick with it. This is what I'm going to do. It's more like, okay, this is the outline. And if I stick with it, fine. If not, then, you know, we'll work it out later. So. <laughs> Do you have uh, like guideposts that you make make sure you get to if if it does veer out? Are you able to circle back and get to those? Um, I am. Yeah, I'll I'll write down. Usually, I have I have a notebook because I write a I write a lot of longhand. I prefer writing with pen and paper than I do on the computer. Um, so I usually just put notes to myself like you need to add this into the beginning chapters or this thread because if it's something that's been added in at the back half of the book, I just make sure I add it into the front or whatever I need to, to kind of allude to what's happening later. So do you edit um, your, your books or do you send it off to an editor? 
I don't do a developmental editor, but my two best friends are my critique partners and they are both really, really, really good developmental editors also. So we just, I just edit it through that process. And I've never had a complaint on any of the books that my books needed editing or anything like that. So I'm like, all right, we're good. But I, I need a copy editor. My best friend is also a copy editor. So I'm, <laughs> she takes it. I'm horrible. I couldn't tell you where a comma goes. I don't care where a comma goes. That's what I pay for her for. And we're good to go. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cause I know that's a challenge for a lot of new authors is finding a good editor, but it was built in to your friendship. So that works out very well. It is. It's so nice. And, and even when they were, um, when I was with my publisher, they edited it for me. So when I took my rights back, I really didn't have to do much for the four books that they had. It was, they were basically already done. I just went in and cleaned up some things, but, um, and then republished them. Right. And that's kind of the benefit between, uh, if you want to go traditionally published versus indie published is they take care of that stuff for you. You know, they take care and of your covers. Yeah, yeah. The covers and everything. Um, your covers look fantastic. Did you, how did you go about finding a cover artist for your novels? So the, the Lexus black books have been recovered. Um, they, and I don't have the old covers up here, but they were black and white. They were really pretty and I really liked them, but they didn't fit into the urban fantasy genre very well. So I had to go out and look for new covers. And believe it or not, the, the new covers on the Alexis Black series are, they were pre-made covers that a cover designer had done and she just had the grouping of them up for sale. And I'm like, okay, those are, they just fit my book perfectly. I was like, okay, those are perfect. So I bought those from her and made sure that she could do more because there's gonna be more books. And she said, absolutely. Um, so those were easy. The redeeming cupid those were all done by my publisher and i didn't change those um and actually that cover designer is really cool and she has a she has a big community now that she actually designs for but a lot of cover designers you can find facebook groups full of cover designers or do like i found the pre-mage just by doing a google search for you know pre-made urban fantasy covers and just stumbled upon these in fact i bought a second i have another series i'm going to be working on when this fourth book is done um, and I found the covers in also in her pre-made section and they were perfect. Oh, really? Another one that was just perfect for my series. So I grabbed those too. No, we live in a fantastic world where our world is so small that we can do that nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 25 years ago, we wouldn't be able to, to do that. Nope. No Googling for covers then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said that when the pandemic hit, you know, your kids came home and your, your husband came home. Um, how do you find, um, balance as a, as a, you know, a entrepreneur or a writer, uh, you know, a, a mom, a, a wife, how do you, how are you able to maintain that balance? I wake up, well, I wake up fairly early, but I wake up and I kind of take care of everybody, animals, kids, husbands. And then I try to be back at my desk by 10 o'clock every morning and then write from like 10 to five. And, and during the school year, I have to stop at like two to usually go pick up one of my kids and then, um, come back. But yeah, I just try to be at my desk from 10 to like five, which is, I would like to have more hours in the day, but you know, it's hard. And sometimes in the evening, if I have a deadline, like if I'm working on a developmental edit or something, I'll have to stop and, and do that. But, um, I, I like schedules and I like lists. I really like lists. I'm a list person. I mean, there's to-do lists all over my desk and that, and and I just, every day I'll write a to-do list. Like I need to do this many pages of it. 
I need to write it, you know, like on my to-do list. Okay, I need to edit this many pages. I need to developmental edit this many pages for this client. And so I just, yeah, I'm kind of OCD about it. So. <laughs> no, that's one of the things like um, as artists and as authors and, um, you know, in a, in a creative um, endeavor, we kind of think that, you know, we want, you know, to be inspired or have a muse or, or anything. And I think a lot of um, time is wasted because of that. Um, I know for myself, um, I'm a procrastinator. I think a lot of artists are. And, artists. and if more people would be able to, to sit down like you and have a to-do list and be able to have that discipline to get it done, I think a lot more art books, what have you, would be out in the world that would be fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And and it is, it's hard. And especially when you're not seeing, when you're trying to query or try to get an agent or an editor or somebody, it, it becomes, becomes really hard and you really, you really get kind of sad and almost demoralized with wanting to do it anymore because you're not getting picked up and you're, and so you just, I, I tell a lot of people, you've got to have the attitude of while you're shopping your first book, really just work on getting that next book done and um, you know, maybe it'll happen then, but you just got to keep going forward. It's, it's hard though. I mean, it's a brutal field. I mean, being an author is just brutal some days between reviews and rejections. It's yeah, it can be really hard. So what advice would you give somebody that's going through that, um, to keep their head up? Just keep going. And there's always self-publishing. I mean, I know that everybody has the dream of they're going to land the biggest agent in their field or in their genre and they're going to land you know this big six-figure contract and most of the time it's not going to happen but if that's your dream just keep going and know that there's other options you know in the back end if it doesn't happen and you still want to publish then you can go other routes too and that's the one great thing that self-publishing has become so big is you can have the other options it's not it used to just be you got published by a publisher or you didn't get published at all and, and, and the field has really opened up now we don't have that problem anymore and it's really shifted too i mean just 10 years ago if you were selling a book on amazon like you kind of got looked at as a, a lesser author oh yeah and you it, got laughed at yeah <laughs> if you were self-published it was like oh yeah you just can't get picked up no but nowadays uh it has really um gotten credibility uh, being a, a self-published author. I mean, people are making millions of dollars at it. Mm -hmm. And so it is a viable route nowadays. It is. And you have complete control. You have complete control over your cover, over your inside, over your ads that you run, over promotions that you do. And I remember I used to do um, all these like Facebook takeover parties. You think, oh, yay, I'm going to do that. And that's when I was published. And I used to ask my publisher, hey, could you tell me if my sales spiked, you know, a couple days after the space? And of course it was crickets. And um, finally said, uh, okay, I'm going to have my own books and I'm going to do a Facebook takeover party and nothing. It was just ridiculous. Nothing happened. And I was like, all right, why am I doing these? Like, this is an hour, two hours out of my day that I'm wasting doing this kind of stuff when I could be doing something else and, you know, or writing a book. Um, so I stopped doing them. So there's a lot of things you can learn also when you have it on your own, like what works, what doesn't. And... Right. Uh, speaking of that, you are in control of everything, including the marketing. Like you, um, I know there might be some authors out there that are just writing just to write, and that's fine if they want yes. to do that. But most authors want to sell they their books. They absolutely do. How, 
how have you been able to keep up on uh, Amazon algorithm changes and, and try to stay current on the market? I actually have a friend who runs my ads who's way better at that. I'm, I am not a marketer. I am married to a really, really, really amazing marketer, but I am not a marketer. In fact, like when I met you at Comic-Con, standing in front of people like that and having to try to convince them to buy my stories is really hard for me. Um, so I would love, I, I leave my ads up to, a, I have another friend who does that. And, um, you know, that's helped a lot because when I was doing it on my own, I think I was, I think I was really wasting money doing it on my own, but I found somebody who was much better at reading the algorithms, understanding what's happening when she goes in and reads the reports. Me, I was like, okay, it says this great. I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> you know, so I knew better than to continue trying to do it on my own. And I just said, all right, let's let somebody else do that for a change. So are these like lifelong friends that you've had or are these friends that you've met um, after you started being an author or wanting to be an author? These are friends that I met through writing and yeah, um, I, yeah. Um, these are met friends that I met through writing probably uh, my oldest, it's probably about 10 years ago. Um, and then um, Justine and Lisa probably, which are my best, best friends. They're probably about seven years ago and we're super close. And we go rent a cabin up in Northern Arizona, usually twice a year and do a writing retreat up there for the weekend. And, stuff like that. So we're, yeah, we're very, very close. Nice. And I'm going to, you know, kind of stereotype some people, but I know that, um, authors, um, especially in the fantasy and science fiction, we are a little more introverted. And mm -hmm. so that is one thing that I found talking to people, um, you know, you and a whole bunch of people that I've interviewed is networking, meeting people and finding people, um, yeah. who can help you. And so um, that that's kind of an unsung um, thing that people don't realize that it, it kind of needs to happen if you want to be successful. Yeah, you can't be a lone wolf with it. You really do need a tribe of some sort. Um, but like you said, we're all very introverted and it's hard to put yourself out there. And I tell people all the time, you know, writing is a very, it is a very personal thing. And when you're, they tell you when you're querying, don't take the rejections personally, but it's hard not to take bad rejections or bad reviews personally because it's a very personal thing you're doing. I mean, there's a little bit of each, there's a little bit of your soul in each book. You know, you put a lot of yourself into these stories. And so when somebody rejects it, it hurts. And I think for writers who are very introverted to begin with or artists in general to put their work out there, um, you've really got to harden your heart to criticism you've really got to tell yourself okay this can't like i literally can't fall apart every time you know <laughs> every time someone gives me a bad review or a bad rejection or yeah you just can't fall apart on it you kind of uh, but it's hard i mean i've i don't know I, there's been a few times i've broken down in tears and said i'm done i'm not doing this anymore i'm finished and you know and then you just the next day you wake up and say all right i was just being dramatic but <laughs> But it's hard. It, it really is. And the sad thing is, most of the time you get a rejection, the whoever you send it to really didn't get to read it that much. You know, they have a pile that they go through and, you know, called slush pile and they just kind of are, are picking through it. So, you know, it's even though you get a rejection doesn't necessarily mean that it's rejected. There's a lot. And there's reasons of they already have an author very similar to yours, you know, that maybe is writes vampire urban fantasy. They don't want to compete against that author. They have 
or, you know, the genre, I mean, this has happened in a couple genres, urban fantasy is one of them for sure that, um, people started self-publishing and they kind of took over the market. So some of the big publishers aren't necessarily wanting to publish urban fantasy right now because they have to compete against the self-publishers. Um, and so self-publishing really has taken over a lot of the markets. Romance is another one where they're big and heavy in self-publishing and indie publishing. So yeah, you just kind of got to watch the trends and see, and there's so many resources out there of being able to watch the trends and see what's going on. So speaking of urban fantasy, I mean, you had this inspiration uh, watching Red, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> How, why did you choose uh, urban fantasy for this setting? I love vampires. I love urban fantasy. It's what I read. Um, it's just something that I absolutely adore. I love the idea of vampires in modern world and, and urban settings. I think it's great. And there's so many great, great books out there. I mean, Charlene Harris and... Um, I, I mean, there's just Kim Harrison. There's just so many great and amazing authors, Jim Butcher, that write those. And I just wanted to try my hand at it. I mean, I really did. I wanted to write something that was what I would read. And, and I think that you really have to, as an author, I really do think you have to write what you read because then your heart's in it. You know, you you know, first of all, you know what should be in there. You all, you know the components, but your heart is in it too. Yeah, you have passion for it. Yeah. Yes, you really do. No, so uh, you you mentioned Kim Harrison, uh, Charlene Harris, and Jim Butcher. Um, have you been able to talk to them and tell them that you know, you know, thank you for inspiring me? I, I actually at Phoenix Fan Fusion Fest, which used to be Phoenix Comic Con, um, Charlene Harris was there signing books. So I of course brought my books in. This was before I had published anything. But I was still writing and I did. I walked up and I said, you know, I just love your stories. Thank you. Because like it's because of authors like you that inspire authors like me who want to do this. Same with Jim Butcher. Actually, I, he wasn't doing a book signing, but he was doing a panel and he was the only one on the panel. And so afterwards, I just walked up and I just shook his hand and thanked him. He won't remember me from anybody, but, you know, <laughs> it was just great to at least be able to shake their hand and thank them and, and meet them. Because, yeah, we all have, I mean, there's every author out there has their, you know, author they fangirl over or fanboy over. I mean, that you just love and you want to meet. So, right. No. Um, and it's exciting to, to go up and, and meet those people. It is. Yeah, it really is. So do you have any tips or tricks for uh, new authors that want to begin this journey? Tips, write the best story you can find a critique group that can help you critique your story but not too many because when, you know, there is a, there's a saying about too many cooks in the kitchen and that goes for writing too. If you have too many people telling you what they like and don't like, um, it becomes too much and you start to muddle your story. You start to make your story really muddy. Um, I always tell people, if you go by the rule of three, if three people review your book or, you know, read your book to give you a critique and two of them love this, but one of them hates it. Well, stick with the two that love it and don't make the change. But if two of them hate it, you know, and one of them loves it, then maybe you probably got to work on something there. You probably got to tweak it or, or figure it out. Um, don't let too many voices change your story because that's what I've seen a lot of authors do it where, especially in my developmental editing, they finally come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I've just, I've had so many people tell me I need to change this and I changed that, but they're friends or their family members or their 
you know, people that are in the same, like same level of the journey they are. And so they finally decide, well, I need to pay somebody to help. Well, when you pay somebody to help, your friends and families are going to tell you that they like something. When you're paying somebody to help you, they're going to be honest, you know, and sometimes that honesty sucks. Um, but they're going to be honest and they're going to give you what they truly think of the story as an independent reader. Um, those are the ones to really listen to. Those are the people to listen to. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with critique partners and that just make sure you're not changing your story to please everybody because you're not going to please everybody. Right. Ever. Ever. <laughs> no, that's that's great advice. What do you love most about writing? I love the creating of the worlds and creating of the characters. I love to build something from the ground up that doesn't exist. Um, and I never really thought that was who I was until I started doing it. I'm like, it's just so cool to to create, to, to create characters. And I'm an art major. I have a degree in graphic design and photography, but it was never the same as this. Graphic design, you're, you're placing elements on a page, but um, most of those elements are really already created where with writing, you're, you're literally starting from nothing and building. And there's, you know, there's Romeo and Juliet, there's story tropes that have been around for years. And, and they would say, you know, there's really never original story because people steal tropes from all over, but um, changing those tropes to, to be something new and original, I think is really cool. No, I agree. And you mentioned earlier that one of the reasons why you chose urban fantasy is because you, you read it and you love it and you, yeah. you know, the tropes that are in it. And so, yeah being able to, to know what people look for when they're reading um, is, is an advantage. It really is, yeah. Perfect. So, uh, Jen, thank you for getting on. Uh, go ahead and tell people how to get in touch with you if they want to uh, know more about you. Um, I'm, on I'm on Facebook. Um, my profile is Jen Windrow, so you can go there and connect with me there. Um, Twitter, and I have to look up my Twitter handle because I always forget it because you know, because that's me and my brain, uh, just Jen Windrow at Jen Windrow on Twitter. I'm on there. I'm on Pinterest under Jen Windrow. Yeah. I mean, pretty much look up Jen Windrow and anything and you're going to find me <laughs> on there. <laughs> my website is up. Jenwindrow.com is up. So you can learn more about my editing and my books and everything on there. And you can buy merchandise and everything on there too. Perfect. Are you going to go to any more conventions this year? Not this year, but I'll definitely be at Phoenix Fan Fusion Fest again next year, Tucson Festival of Books next year. Um, we do actually have a Mesa Book Festival here every December, and I'll probably do that this year. I was just at one this weekend. I like being out there meeting people, but it is not, it's difficult for me to put myself out there. So I've also learned that if I have to bring my own tent and table, like pop-up tent and my own table and chair, I probably don't want to do the events. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to bring in, a lot of work to take down. And so, and I, so yeah, I've learned, I, through the six years that I've been published, I've kind of figured out which ones I enjoy. And, um, but like San Diego Comic-Con is a bucket list for me. I mean, that's one that I will eventually do because I just, yeah, I just want to do it. So. Now that'd be a fun one to go to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jen, thank you again for getting on with me. I appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Troy podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.